Welcome back to Catchweight. We're here with episode 16 and we had another packed weekend of combat sports from Akoli's world title bid to the return of Beterbiev, a big UFC middleweight fight and also WWE Fastlane. A lot to sink our teeth into. We're going to break it all down in this fresh episode. So we're going to start off with the boxing. We had another cracking Matchroom card. Matchroom, I believe, are one of the best promoters in the pandemic era. They put on fantastic shows, and Saturday night was no exception. Lawrence Okoli, in his 16th professional fight, wins a WBO World Cruiserweight title with a destructive, scintillating, and clinical performance. He jabbed away at Krzysztof Glavatsky, waited for his moment, barely took any damage, and then in the sixth round detonated a crushing right hand that flattened the pole, and he was out for the count. For a fighter who has been often criticised for his style, perhaps sometimes his not exactly entertaining fights, Akoli has really turned it around under Shane McGuigan, his trainer. They've really worked and honed in on the power, leading everything with the jab, and then waiting for that big right hand down the pipe. Akoli is very big and very long for cruiserweight, and they made the most of that with their tactics on Saturday night. And a fantastic breakdown. Akoli never overextended, never overcommitted, and just waited for his moment. He stayed concentrated and stayed switched on for the whole fight, and it paid off. A fantastic performance, and it's going to be exciting to see where they go now. A lot of talk. They've made it clear that they do want to go up to heavyweight at some point. There is still a bit of business to deal with in the cruiserweight division, of course. The cruiserweight division, not what it was during the Usyk era. I believe there is still a bit of a gaping chasm there, mostly because he's beaten the champions, other than Akoli, of course. And the fact that he was so dominant and unified everything. But there is now a gap. And I think Akali is going to try and chase that. Try and unify a couple of the belts before going up to heavyweight. Which will be fun. And it will be an incredible journey to see. And you've probably heard everyone mention this. But I might as well just add into the mix. In 2012, Akali was watching the London 2012 Olympics as an employee of McDonald's. He saw something over those two weeks that inspired him. And ultimately lit a fire in chasing his dreams which he has now done making it to the Rio 2016 Olympics and now a WBO world champion a cruiserweight world champion an unbelievable performance it just goes to show how much more evidence do you need that you can achieve what you desire if you set your mind to it if you have a goal and dedicate your entire life to it it can happen and it is possible we've seen it again here on Saturday night so thank you to Lawrence Okoli for showing us that I'm sure they're going to go and try and get Akoli another cruiserweight belt now. Breedis was mentioned. I believe he's the toughest out of the cruiserweight champions. Makabu could be an interesting challenge if he does want to go and get another belt before taking on Breedis and ultimately going up to heavyweight. But some fun fights there, some interesting challenges. Glavatsky was supposed to be the big tough test, the big step up for Akoli because it was a big step in competition. It didn't turn out to be that way, but that is all credit to Akoli and the way he executed the game plan. I believe he will come across some much more difficult encounters and that'll be fun to see how he gets through that but with McGuigan on his side they are continuing to make those strides and he could be a force to be reckoned with throughout cruiserweight and up to heavyweight so exciting times for the source Lawrence Okoli even got his own rap music video out now on Grime Daily it's all going well for him it's good to see him so successful and I'm very excited to see the rest of this journey. Speaking of journeys we've got another very highly touted probably one of the most Highly regarded prospects in British boxing right now. Joe Cordina, the Welshman, made his return. It was a clean, clinical performance against Farouk Korbanov. He looked clean. He looked solid. The only question mark, which has been for some time, is the power. Does he have the power to translate up to the world rankings? We won't know until he fights them. He'll probably be ready now, I think. He's had a lot of time on the sidelines, but he is a very highly skilled operator. 
and he has the potential to go very high in his division. So we will see how that goes. But a good performance. Great to see him out there looking as good as ever. Also wins for Anthony Fowler and Ramla Ali on the card. Solid night of matching boxing. They've got another card coming up this weekend with uh, the Dillian White and Favetkin rematch. They are putting on fantastic shows and I'm excited any time now the matchroom boxing's on. They've almost developed it like their own brand. I know that Eddie Hearn looks up to Dana White a lot in terms of how he runs the UFC and stuff and I'm seeing a lot of the remnants of that translate here in the boxing shows. So great work, matchroom. Another solid card. And DAZN were also killing the game. Great value. We had another great fight on tap on Saturday night on the DAZN platform. Ortiz Jr., getting rid of Maurice Hooker in a fun fight for as long as it lasted. Hooker did very well to stay in there, but ultimately succumbed to a body shot and I believe an arm injury as well. Excellent fight. After the way Virgil Ortiz came forward in the first round, putting on the pressure, he did wobble and hurt Hooker at the first round as well. You'd think this would be an early night for Ortiz Jr. He'd get him done and get him out of there. But Hooker did improve and did turn the tide, especially in the third and fourth rounds I believe he got behind the jab more he used his range because he had to Ortiz was just getting inside and bullying him from the inside so Hooker had to get behind the jab which he did so he did get hurt in the fifth round by a body shot but he continued to come on strong and I think as the fight progressed Ortiz got more confident in the fact that he knew Hooker didn't really have the power to hurt him but any time Ortiz would land it did seem to give Hooker problems and with that you have the confidence just to go forward like the case here in the sixth round a body shot Really did hurt Hooker. He went down to a knee. He did get up for the final seconds of the sixth round and decided to swing it out with his chin in the air. I'm surprised neither fighter got knocked down in that wild exchange towards the end. And then the seventh round, he takes a body shot. I'm not sure if it was blocked or if the arm got injured whilst he was throwing the shot in response. But there was some sort of injury or some sort of uh, excruciating pain that left him unable to continue and he was unable to make it out of the seventh round. A big win for Ortiz Jr. who calls out Crawford, which brings me on to my next point. Crawford, when speaking to Dazon, commented that he'd moved on from the Errol Spence Jr. fight, which has triggered me a bit, let's say, because here we are again, two fantastic champions, two pound-for-pound fighters in the same division who have been talking about fighting each other, who have been linked with each other for so long now. And here they are, having no interest in fighting each other whatsoever. And this is one of those fights that's just never materialised. And it's clear that neither fighter has much interest, which is a big shame. Because they're not going to be at their prime for long. As it stands right now, they're just two great fighters fighting in the same era, who are just not willing to take the risk to fight each other. All we've got right now is them talking about how they would stop each other when they met backstage at a fight once. And that's it. And that is a shame. Because... We've got to see these fights in boxing. There's a reason why boxing doesn't have the appeal like it used to. A lot of these fights are just tune-up fights or they're not the, the true number one contender fights or the the fights that all the fans want to see. Spence versus Crawford is a f- fight fans must see. It's a fight that feels that it's already overdue and the fact that neither fighter or promoters or camps are edging anywhere nearer to it is just all the more frustrating. Look what happened with Errol Spence a few years ago. He got in that car accident. That could have been the end of his career. And we would have had the what if questions. What if Spence would have fought Crawford? We still have them questions when the fight is doable. And if both fighters retire without fighting each other, it's going to be a big question mark on their legacy. And they've only got themselves to blame for that. But enough on ranting about fights that aren't going to happen. Let's just stop giving them that energy. And let's hope they can, for their own sake, for their own legacies, take this fight. Otherwise, yeah, their bank accounts will look nice. Their undefeated records will look nice, but they will always be remembered for not fighting each other.
And the other boxing card was the one that started first in the night. Artur Beterbiev makes a return to the ring and a return to Russia, taking on Adam Dines, who really put up a great effort. He was resilient, he came forward, but the unified light heavyweight king was just too much. The pressure, constant coming forward, cutting off the ring very well. It did break him down, and in the 10th round, that would be all she wrote. Great fight. I respected the effort from Dines. And now you think, where can Beterbiev go? Of course, he did the test positive for COVID, which ruled him out. We last saw him when he dropped Fosdick to unify the titles some 16 months ago. Now, there's always going to be the question, does he want to fight Canelo or does Canelo want to fight him? It is a big risk and a big step up for Canelo. But with all due respect to Beterbiev, the way he was getting hit on Saturday night, yes, it didn't bother him, but it's kind of similar to Triple G. Canelo can outscore you and he is very defensively sound. So I wouldn't put it past Canelo being able to beat Beterbiev comprehensively over 12 rounds. But we'll see if that fight does get made. Of course, Artur is getting old now as well, with all due respect. 36 is old in the boxing game. He is still the only champion, though, with a 100% knockout ratio in his career. So that is a big feat and a big testament to his ability. So that's a wrap for the boxing part of this show. I think we've covered everything. Three solid cards that I enjoyed. Good timing. We had the Russian card go first. Straight after was the matchroom main event. Then a bit of a break before the DAZN card. Plenty of boxing on at the moment. Good to see all these shows. Not necessarily clashing either, which is good. It seems that we've always got a good domestic dust-up now. And then a late card in the USA, which I hope we can keep that up. I'd rather not have big clashes like when BT and Sky clash or so on and so forth. But for now, let's enjoy it. Speaking of enjoyment... I'm sure UFC President Dana White did not particularly enjoy Kevin Holland's performance in the UFC Vegas 22 main event. Holland's five-fight win streak was snapped at the hands of a wrestle-heavy performance from middleweight veteran Derek Brunson, smothering him over five rounds to take a comprehensive, unanimous decision victory in a fight where Holland did a lot of talking, but unfortunately not a lot of much else. He spent a lot of time on the ground, was taken down at will, talked a lot when he was on the ground, but was unable to really get up and fight against the takedowns of Brunson. Great game plan by Brunson. It was, of course, the safest game plan for him to go with because he did get hurt and tagged when there was some brief striking exchanges. So Brunson stuck to the game plan and nailed it in terms of preventing Holland from getting any attacks off. And this is a guy, Brunson, who has been around the middleweight division for a long time and he's just knocked off another prospect, per se. He destroyed Edmund Shabazian last summer and now he's outdone Kevin Holland here. And he does deserve his props. I think a lot of people thought this was a bit of a gimme, a bit of a coming out party. The first main event of Kevin Holland's career, he'd make it another highlight reel knockout or a fantastic performance. It wouldn't be the case. And now it's funny how fans can quickly turn on you and the media can turn on you when you have a performance like this. But Kevin Holland's demeanour was no different to his other fights other than the fact that he lost this one compared to that wonderful five-fight win streak, which is one of the most legendary things in all sports in 2020. It has exposed a hole in the game of Holland. This is UFC. You can't just strike. You will get taken down if you can't defend against the takedowns. And Holland couldn't really do that. And he couldn't really get off his back. I thought he could have thrown up some good attacks. This is a guy who, of course, famously knocked out Jacare from the bottom. But there was just not much attacks or not many threats to really prevent the smothering that he received. And it was profoundly illustrated, I feel, when in the final seconds of the fight, Holland got back to his feet but decided just to talk and not even put the pressure on Brunson rather than chasing a late KO. It just goes to show that there is a lot of learning to do. You can't always please the fans if you want to get the wins and go up the division. A bit of a hit to the stock 
but I'm sure another main event outing is on the cards for him. Possibly a drop down to welterweight now. It would be a wise decision. He is a small middleweight. He could perhaps give it 170 a crack. He's thinking Brunson might have just been a bit too big and strong for him when he had him down on the ground. So fair play to Derek Brunson. He does deserve a lot of respect. He's been around for a while. There's been a lot of times he was just referred to as a gatekeeper. But when you're beating prospects like this, you can't really be a gatekeeper. You can maybe start looking at a top five opponent of your own. Perhaps a Paolo Costa or even a winner of those big fights in April. Till versus Vittori and Whitaker versus uh, Gasolum. So we'll find out in due course. But ultimately he deserves a step up now. He deserves a big fight. A big outing. And he will get that. Respect to Derek Brunson. A great victory in the UFC Vegas 22 main event. I think the standout performance of the card for me was Adrian Yarns against fellow Mexican Gustavo Lopez. A third round stoppage. The hands of Yarns just look superb. This is a fighter... I think if you watch one of his fights live, you'll just instantly become a fan of him because he brings it. He's all action. The hands are fantastic. The head movement is wonderful. And he knocks people out in the way he did Gustavo Lopez. The referee didn't even allow him to do any ground a pound because of how badly Lopez was hurt. Sensational performance from the bantamweight. And let's talk about 135 pounds. That division is on fire. I mean, we've got the Jan versus Sterling rematch on tap. We've got so many contenders, the return of TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sandhagen in the mix, and then all these fringe contenders outside of the top 15. I believe probably, into, when you talk about outside of the top 15, this is the, the, a division that is as deep as they come, full of talent, stacked with talent, and the fights are just going to get better and better in this division, and Adrian Yarns could be a fighter to look out for. The main card also saw quick knockouts for Max Griffin, flattening Song Kinan, and Tai Tuivasa, he stopped Harry Hunsucker, the short-notice replacement, with a thunderous right hand. What a UFC card it was. And we've got another one on tap. Of course, the big one, UFC 260. Likely the last big UFC fight without fans. So when you talk about the winners of the pandemic, the UFC have got to be up there. I know the pandemic is far from over, but they're trying to get fans back in. And it's just going to get big, bigger and better now from here. Usman versus Masvidal 2 will be in front of a crowd. It is a great fight to reintroduce live crowds to. And it's good to see the UFC making this bold decision. I'm not sure in terms of the health and safety, how they'll pull it off and what damage it could take. Perhaps this could send them back into a lockdown. Well, of course, the United States do it a lot differently. We'll see, though. Again, it's going to be great to have fans back. But talking about the fights we've seen at the Apex and the quality of the cards, it's just been brilliant. So props to the UFC for doing that as well. And now finally, on to the wrestling the last stop before WrestleMania, WWE Fastlane, came to us on Sunday from the WWE Thunderdome. And it was a interesting, well-paced card. The main event saw Roman Reigns defeat Daniel Bryan after Edge seemed to have snapped <coughs> and attacked both fighters with a chair towards the end of the match. I'm not sure if this could lead to a triple threat now. Daniel Bryan, of course, the way his rise has been going, you think they want to give him another chance at Mania, which would make sense if they want to keep Edge safe and have more of a dynamic to the match. We also finally got the return of The Fiend, who was set alive by Randy Orton at WWE TLC. He returned. The makeup, the effects on this were incredible. They had his charred mask on. He looked burnt. He looked even scarier than before. And he basically dropped Randy Orton with the Sister Abigail finisher. And on the Raw after, they set up for the big WrestleMania match, which was, of course, one of the more obvious matches that we were going to see on the card. That's a fun one to see. I wonder how they'll do it with the crowd, if they're going to make it a cinematic match. But one of the most compelling storylines of the whole WrestleMania build-up. The other title fight was, or the title fight related, 
action on the card was Drew McIntyre fighting Sheamus. He put on another great match with his friend and he's set up to take on Bobby Lashley. I think they are angling towards Drew McIntyre's redemption tour after losing to Miz, coming back, going through all that adversity to take the belt in front of fans in Tampa. I think that is what they're going for when you look at it at face value. But yeah, we're on the run-up to WrestleMania now. Get those WrestleMania viewings in. I've started with WrestleMania 31. I'm going to try and watch all the WrestleManias from my first WrestleMania, which was 23, and just enjoy the fruits of the WWE Network. We've got a two-night WrestleMania coming up next month, so we're looking forward to that as well. So that's it for episode 16. Well done for making it to the end. I applaud you if you have done so. We'll be back very soon. Some big fights to look forward to this weekend as well. Dillian White against Alexander Bovetkin, the rematch. And of course, another big heavyweight rematch in the UFC between Steve Miocic and Francis Ngannou. I'll see you guys very soon. Take care and have a great week.